0: And I'm, I'm excited to be here tonight. We're, uh, we're continuing on our, our series on the gospel. And uh, I'm just going to get started by praying. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We just take a, a moment right now, God, to just quiet ourselves. to set our hearts on you, to gaze upon you. When's the last time you, you took just a moment, and you were staying in prayer, but when's the last time you took a moment to really just think about God's goodness in your life? I just want you to sit and dwell on God's goodness in your life. Everything good you've experienced this week came from God the Father, whether you realize it or not. Father, we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, not just for the things that you do for us, although we do take time to to recognize those things, but we just thank you for you. God, we thank you that nobody else could be you but you. And you do being you very well. We just want to recognize that right now. So, Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. We praise you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the gospel, this is a... This is a, a giant, giant topic to try and, and tackle, right? In a, in a three-week series, how, how much can we actually go over about the gospel? Uh, last week, Pastor Jake talked about the, the gospel, like, what is the gospel? And, and we really talked a lot about the atonement of Christ, right, the death, burial, resurrection, what he did to, to cover the price that we couldn't pay right to to free us from the sinful life and to actually restore us into a completely new way of living, you guys remember that from last week? I, I was talking with my table afterwards, and it's a it 's an interesting thing. This week, I really want to kind of give you guys some some things to search out. How many of you guys who has their paper Bible here? Just wave your paper Bible at me this is uh, this is if you if you don 't make time to actually go into a paper Bible. I know that we're a very digital age. I just want to give you an encouragement that it's absolutely incredible to to start building a relationship with the Word of God, and specifically in paper form, in hard, you know, IRL form (laughs) in real life, yeah. Because you, you, start to, you start to open up pages and you start to go, okay, I was going through Ephesians and all of a sudden, and I know, I know it's in Ephesians, I don't remember exactly what chapter it is, but I know it's on this part of the page, right? And you start to build a relationship with the, the Word of God in, in such a beautiful, beautiful way. So I highly encourage you to be getting into your Bible as often as you possibly can, hopefully on a daily basis, because this will truly transform and renew your mind. And I, I say this to say, I'm going to give you some things today that I really want you to like, go away with some homework and search this stuff out. When we're going through a series like this, I, I'll, I'll say it this way, the worst thing that could happen is you simply go through the series with us on Thursday nights. And not that that's a bad thing, that's a, that's a great thing. We're glad that you guys are here, but, uh, and, and I know this always sounds like, oh, here they go again. They're just telling us to get in our Bible over and over. Well, yes. that's <laughs> literally, like, <laughs> if you did that, you're setting yourself up for gold. And I know you don't have to hear it over and over and over again, but sometimes we do. And and searching these things out in here, and one of the things I was talking to my table about last week after the message was, there's a beautiful thing to where I, I kind of picture them all the coins of the kingdom, right? So if I luckily today I actually have change in my pocket, normally I don't. Um, on on this quarter here, oh, okay, another one. On this penny here, <laughs> well, I just downgraded real quick. On one side we have Lincoln's head, and on the other side we have. A building. Fun trivia. What building is on the back of a penny? The Lincoln Memorial. Thank you, because I had no clue. <laughs> I don't even know if that's right, but <laughs> it came from Andrew Lanning, so I'm sure it is right. <laughs> this guy's a walking encyclopedia. Sometimes you do have to do fact check, though. We've, we've caught him on a couple things. Anyway, there's, there's two sides... That does make sense. Lincoln on the front, Lincoln Memorial. Okay, (laughs) I'm a little slow. Two sides to a coin, right? If I were to go through and if somehow I were to get a super sharp knife and I was to cut this coin in half and I was to try and go and spend one half of that coin, I mean, not much to to do with a half a penny, but you get my drift. uh, How many people would actually accept that as legal tender? Nobody. And there's these different concepts of Scripture that are really two sides to one coin, right? When we look at the gospel, we we constantly talk about the gospel of atonement. There's the gospel of atonement of Jesus died, went down, got the keys back from Satan. We've heard this story over and over. Raised to life by the Holy Spirit and then ascended to the Father. That's the gospel of atonement. He paid for our sins because we couldn't. And then when we look at the life of Christ, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus walks around talking about, apparently, maybe a different gospel? Anybody tell me what the gospel is that Jesus is preaching? The gospel of the Gospel of the kingdom? It says... And I'm going someplace with this, so bear with me. It says in Matthew 4, right, Jesus gets led off into the wilderness. He gets tempted by Satan. He's fasting and praying for 40 days. He comes back down from the mountainside after his temptation, after defeating the enemy, right there in the the temptation. This is after his baptism and Holy Spirit descending on him. And it says, from that time, Jesus became or began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Other translations say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and Jesus came preaching a gospel, and, and further down, when we look at uh, 4.23, it says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news, or gospel, right? That's what gospel means, good news of the kingdom. And then he was curing every disease, every sickness among the people. And, and we see these, this two-sided coin of the gospel, We have the gospel of atonement that leads us over to the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He came living the gospel of atonement. He lived the life that we didn't live, sinless. He died the death we should have lived, or that we should have died because of our sin. And in that, there was a great exchange. And the great exchange was taking on the sinful nature and giving us the divine nature. Does this make sense? Not that we become God, but we, we step back into that image and likeness that God created us to have in Genesis 1.27, right? Before we ever get to, to Romans 3, where it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we need to understand the fallen short in the, the sin, we have to understand that through the lens of Genesis 127, that God created us, man and woman, in his image and likeness. Because when we understand that, we understand what Jesus came to do was actually to restore us back to our original design and nature. This all makes sense? This is all very familiar, right? The gospel of atonement leading into the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came demonstrating and modeling the gospel of the kingdom. He walked with pure holiness that the Holy Spirit does inside of us when we believe and then in his walking in in the Holy Spirit signs wonders miracles and all these kingdom expressions came and followed him and it's amazing. I asked a couple weeks ago, and there wasn't too many hands that went up, and maybe you guys misunderstood my question. How many of you guys would like to live the life that Jesus lived while walking on earth with all the signs, miracles, wonders, and all these cool things that he was seeing? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Alright, have spent 10 minutes on that. I wanted to set us up. I I shared a couple weeks ago, and I gave you guys kind of one of my sports stories. I don't have many, but I have a couple. (laughs) And I told you guys about my hoop dreams, wanting to be like Michael Jordan. You guys remember this? And then my hoop dreams died when I got cut twice because I didn't do the things that Michael Jordan did. I want to introduce another uh, sports story to set us up. So when I was a kid, uh, anybody play soccer as a kid? Yes, Soccer Zone. Anybody know Soccer Zone? Yes. As a kid, I played soccer and played with my friends. And we we were in the the soccer league for for Soccer Zone. And um, eventually, they made me the goalie, uh, which (laughs) I wasn't good at. Uh, I I would be in the goalpost, right? And the ball would be on the other side of the the court. And I'd, I'd be looking up in the stands for my parents. And then all of a sudden, the ball would go by I me, mean, and it was, it was just a terrible goalie. But the reason they made me goalie was because I was out on the field, and, and the one day that I actually got the ball, right, I wasn't a good player. So I get the ball, and I'd done all the, the, the soccer dribbling drills as much as you can when you're like seven, eight years old, I don't know how old I was, um, and i get the ball, And all of a sudden, I just start beelining it down the field. I'm kicking the ball. I'm going straight to the goal. And all of a sudden, the stands are just going wild. I felt like the man, the coach, was going, go, go, go. And I'm running and I'm running. And I'm outrunning everybody. Nobody's even catching up to me. I'm like the only man on this side of the field, right? And I go up, and I I kick the ball. And it goes right past the goalie. It was like he just kind of watched it go by. And I was like, yes. And I turned, and I realized I was going towards the wrong goal. And coach wasn't yelling, go, go, go. He was yelling, no, no, no. And, and I scored scored a, a goal for the other team. And that's why they made me goalie. I got cut from the team shortly after that. I think the coach is playing favorites. <laughs> There's so much excitement when you get into the game, right, and you're actually playing the game, and you're running the game, and you're doing all these things, and, and it's so unfortunate to realize that moment when you've been running towards the wrong goal. That moment when I exerted all of my effort into something and then I got to the end and I go to celebrate and then all of a sudden I realized victory was actually defeat. Matthew seven twenty one. This is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Do many deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. You guys ever read that? Has that ever scared you? Not going to lie, I was... You know, when Emily and I, actually, Emily, will you stand up? It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. This is my bride. Yes. She's my forever Valentine. No, no, no. Stand up. Give a, give like a pageant wave. Okay. Probably not a good Valentine's gift to embarrass her, but I love you. And I think you're really cute. I kind of want to just throw the message out and just turn it, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Years back when when Emily and I first started, uh, I think we were engaged at this point, I was was talking to my father-in-law late into the evening. It was Christmas Eve, and we were just up until 2 o'clock in the morning. My father-in-law is an amazing, amazing man of God and we were just sitting there talking about this scripture and how terrifying it could be to really think through this scripture. To, to consider a life running hard only to realize I was going towards the wrong goal. And the the interesting thing here is is these disciples, right? These guys that thought they were disciples that that come to Jesus, they're saying, Lord, Lord, right? You, You hear it and it's like, why? They're saying all the right things. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Things were actually happening. And yet still Jesus' response is so, so frightening. Uh, and I'm not trying to scare you. This isn't like a scare them into the kingdom message. You know, I, I have nothing about that. But at the same time, right, sometimes we as communicators, as ministers, as pastors will say, you know, we really don't want to challenge anybody's salvation. I, I hope that this isn't coming off as me challenging salvation. I hope that this is just coming off as reality of scripture that's doing it for us. Have you guys ever asked the question, am I truly saved? You guys ever wrestled with that question? Like, how do I actually know that when I get to the end, I'm actually doing the right things? And is it even about doing the right things? What does a salvation moment look like? I I love when when Rick Renner, you guys familiar with Rick Renner, is just he's like probably probably the most influential Christian minister over in Russia, absolutely absolutely incredible man of God, and he was he was here in town uh, I don't know last year end of the year, and he was talking about how in Russia. Nobody actually talks about their getting saved moment, that moment that they prayed a prayer. What they actually talk about is the moment of repentance, when everything shifted for them. They're not going, yeah, I remember it was that day, and I raised my hand. Not that raising your hand is bad. But they don't talk about that. What they talk about is that was the day that literally... Everything shifted. That I gave up on doing my life myself and I surrendered fully to Jesus Christ. And that's what the gospel asks of us. We could call it good news. We could call it all these things and we could think, oh man, it's this free gift that God just gives to us. Which is true. But there's also something required from us. Have you ever asked yourself, what's my part in the gospel of atonement? What's my part in the gospel of the kingdom? What's my part in, in the whole salvation thing? Because we do play a part. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Say new person. Obviously, other translations say new creation. I think both are fantastic. But then it says, the old life is gone and a new life has begun. It's not the moment that I made just a simple decision. It's literally a moment that my old life went and my new life came. Where Paul constantly talks about putting off the old man and taking on the new man. And salvation... Isn't a momentary experience? It's actually a new lifestyle that we take on and we actually walk out, just as I am the way, the truth and the life. He's the way that we end up walking out life. That's why a couple weeks ago, and it, you know, one of these messages to where I was talking about looking at the Gospels like, like they're the biography of Jesus. And we could get to the end of that message and go, how is that really about prayer? You were just telling us to look at the life of Christ. That's because everything comes from looking at the life of Christ. We learn how to pray when we look at the life of Christ. We also learn what the new life looks like when we look at the life of Christ. But the issue is we can sometimes see all the externals. And I celebrate these things. I so much am right there with you guys of wanting... Signs and wonders to move in my life. But it's very apparent in Matthew 7 that that's not what gets me into the kingdom of heaven. He still called them evildoers. He still called them workers of lawlessness. So he's not saying the things that they did were bad. He's just saying the things that you did aren't getting you here. It's so much more than that. And it's, you know, when you look at, this is another thing, I'm I'm telling you, I'm giving you some homework. Go through Matthew 5 through 7, right? The Sermon on the Mount. We have the Beatitudes. It starts off just showing us the humility that we should be entering into the kingdom on. The Beatitudes are really walking out and laying out a, a salvation life introducing us to a completely new way of thinking right jesus says you know you guys are saying don't go and you know adulter don't go and sleep around i'm telling you if you even lust in your heart you've already committed adultery he's he's taking it not making it more difficult but he's taking it to the root and actually getting into our heart and starting to do a giant work in our life which is what salvation is we cannot have the new life until we let go of the old life. Is this making sense so far? I, I'm i trying to break down today something that, that is, is a very difficult thing to break down. And I only got about 10, 12 minutes left to, to really kind of hit some of this stuff. But... Um, I I do actually kind of hope one thing is is the Holy Spirit convicts through this to to not challenge your salvation, but to really ask yourself, is the life that I'm living an authentic expression of salvation? Because if our church actually had... um, Let me me see how I should say this properly... (laughs) If we all stepped into real biblical expressions of what the life of salvation looks like, Grand Rapids would be set on fire. it's so much more than getting things from God. When we taste what the life that looks like Christ, when we taste that in our life, we start to see that everything that we've put off actually meant nothing. We hold on to so much stuff in our life, and, and God tries to challenge us on all these different areas of our life, and I go, "No, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give that up." But then all of a sudden, when I taste just a little hint of that Christ-like life, I start to realize all that that I was holding on to really means nothing. And if we could get further and further into that and humble ourselves and let go of everything else and take on whatever God's trying to bring to us. And it's not always easy. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and my my yoke is light. That's so twisted and taken out of context so many times. The life of a Christian is actually a pretty difficult life. Jesus says to people, he says, unless you hate your father, unless you hate your brother, your sister, your mother, your friends, and even, yes, your own self, you cannot be a disciple of mine. He says, I didn't come to just bring peace. I actually came to, I'm paraphrasing, divide families Maybe a poor prayer phrase, go search that one out. But what he's saying is, when you step into an actual life of looking like Christ, it's so much different than everything out there that people will start to criticize you. People will start to judge you. They'll start to point fingers and go, oh, he's so holier than thou. And at that point, when people start doing that, are we gonna shrivel up and start protecting ourselves are we going to still hold fast to the life of Christ that he's given us? Because the salvation life holds fast to the life that he's given us. I'm not yelling at you, I promise. Okay. There's a difference between God's part of The gospel, God's part of salvation and our part of salvation. God's part is Jesus is the only one who could actually pay the price for us on the cross. The the atonement could only have been done by Jesus Christ. That's a part that we cannot do for ourselves. The work of redemption, that's the saving us from our sins, the wages of death, it paid out. The atonement, the paying of the price that we couldn't pay. These could only be accomplished by Jesus Christ and him alone. Ephesians 1 7 through 8 says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. No man can forgive himself of his own sins. No man can revive his own heart or offer himself living water. No man can declare himself justified and made clean. All of this is the work of God in man and is flowing from the work that Christ has done for man. Here's the thing though. Jesus' work on the cross, and listen to this, because it's gonna sound strange at first. Jesus' work on the cross made atonement available for every man, but it did not save any man. Jesus' atonement on the cross or Jesus' work on the cross made atonement available for every man, but it did not save any man. Salvation is personal. Atonement was made for all. And this is where a lot of people will, will argue about this. And this is where some sectors of, you've probably heard of universalism. Well, all roads lead to heaven because Jesus paid for everyone's sin. That doesn't mean that everybody accepted salvation. He paid for it all, but salvation is a personal work that God does with an individual. Salvation is the work of God in the heart, made possible by the work of God on the cross. Does that makes sense. Okay, I'm gonna move over to man's part, and I'm gonna try and cover this as fast as I can while doing it justice. Man's part, there's three areas that I want to cover today. These are things that, that God can't do for us. Jesus did everything he needed to do on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's all done. It's paid for. It's paid in full. Now there's a part on our part that we actually have to do in order to not work our way into salvation, but align ourselves with salvation. And there's going to be some things in here to where some Grace-centric people are going to go, sounds like works. Oh, this guy's going into, I'm not going into works, but works are part of it. First thing that God cannot do for us, God cannot do our repenting for us. He can die for us, but he cannot do our repenting for us. Now, God in his mercy will incline us and lead us into repentance, but he cannot do the repentance for us. He will assist us in it, but he cannot do it for us. Repentance is not simply doing something different. How many of you guys have heard the, the terminology, repentance is, I was going this way, and now I'm going this way? There, that, that touches on part of it, but it doesn't touch on the whole of it. What repentance actually is, the Greek word is metanoea. Metanoea, Is actually thinking in a completely new way. It's I was going this way because my thought process was driving me this way. The way I perceived reality was driving me this way because it made sense for me to go that way based off of how I was thinking. But a true repentance moment means I'm actually completely changing the way I think about things. And as I'm changing the way I'm thinking about things, the result is now I'm heading this direction because I'm thinking from a whole new place, right? I I promise you if I would have kept going in soccer after that moment, I I had a repentance moment at that moment. And it wasn't just because I, I was really sorry for running towards the wrong goal. It was because all of a sudden I realized that I was chasing after something or moving in a direction that no longer made sense. And now I had a whole new way of thinking that if I would have kept going and kept growing in the sport, I would have started moving towards the right goal. Repentance. Is not about feeling bad enough about what I've done that I say I won't do it again. Sometimes we use repentance in in replacement of, you know, I'm sorry. I went and I repented for that. I told him that what I did was really bad. But my mindset didn't change, so I kept doing that thing. It's about recognizing the source of my life when I was going that way was self, lust of the flesh, worldly systems, and that it produced death in me. The wages of sin are death. And that I needed an entirely new source of life. That that my entire way of perceiving life, when I actually realize it, is actually producing death inside of me. And when I feel that, And that comes in that, that moment. Some of you guys are sitting here and you're going, I, I can already feel that. If you've never received Jesus in your heart, you're sitting there and you're going, I've felt death in my life. When I came to truly know Christ, it was because I hit rock bottom and I was experiencing what death, the wages of sin, what it actually felt like to a certain degree. Praise the Lord, I experienced it on this side of eternity so I could repent and actually chase after him. I have some really good scriptures I was going to share there, but I'm going to move on to the next point because I'm lacking time. I, I do encourage you to go to 1 John 1, 5 through 10. It talks about God the Father is, is a God of light and in him there is no darkness. And actually when we come into the light of the Father, it actually illuminates things. This is what happens when we come up to the, the picture of the cross. When we come up to Jesus Christ on the cross, when we look at the the Gospels, when we look at the story of Jesus and we compare ourselves with him, we start to realize there's a giant difference here. And all of a sudden my conscience starts to feel the weight of my sin and, and we cannot ever truly come into a place of salvation moment if we haven't truly grasped the weight of our sin and realized I was on my way to eternal damnation. I had set myself up against God. I was his enemy because I wanted to be Lord of my own life. This is why we cannot continue moving on in the old life to be able to claim the new life. Because the old life, I'm still Lord of my life, and we have a lot of people in the church that are like this. And I want to give them this area of my life, but I want to hold on to this area of my life. I don't want to give them this. Hey, go give that away, rich young ruler. And he walked away with his head down, sorrowful because he had much. And we could think about that of, oh, thousands and thousands and millions and millions of dollars, but what about when it's just $5 at the grocery store? Hey, go pay for their groceries. Yeah, but God, you know I need this. It's because we're still lording over our own life. Sometimes we try and take Jesus as Savior, but we don't want to take him as Lord. And again, that, that penny can't be split. I can't spend Jesus as Savior and not have Jesus as Lord. Does that make sense? Second thing is God cannot believe for us or have faith for us. So when we have true repentance, it'll lead to true belief, true faith. Okay, and we, again, it's two sides of the same coin, so really I'm kind of splitting hairs here because these are two things that happen, you know, coinciding. Repentance, true repentance of I'm thinking completely different and I'm going in a completely new way. That new way is a belief that he is who he says he is and that he is Lord. And that he knows because he created everything and because his voice is currently right now and has always been and will always be holding everything together. You, myself, this desk, our world, everything scripture says is being held together by his voice. So if God's voice knows how to hold this desk together to make sure that it doesn't fall to the ground or spontaneously combust, praise the Lord, I'm pretty close in proximity then how much does he actually know how I should do my life? I don't know how to make this desk hold together. If you were to break it down into all the atoms or whatever, you know, and put them over there, and then go, make a desk. <laughs> I can't even figure out how they made tube televisions, let alone this desk. And nobody here knows what a tube television is. <laughs> okay. Show of hands, this is just off of a side conversation. No, not... <laughs> wow, you guys are all ready. Who wants to receive... <laughs> Easiest ultra call ever. Um, no, it was a side conversation of our... Who in here, completely off topic, who in here knows what MTV Cribs is? Okay, it's, a, it's an old show. I made reference of it in the discipleship program, and we were talking like... I don't think anybody actually knew what I was talking about. Not a great show. It's a show all about coveting other people's stuff. So actually, it does kind of play into my message. (laughs) Many people begin their Christian lives trying to believe without first truly repenting. And like I said, I know we're we're splitting hairs here, but it's in the repentance that I actually come to a place where I can truly believe that he is who he says he is in a way that I could actually follow him, right? It's not just about believing in him. I believe that he's there. Well, James tells us, okay, that's good. Even the demons believe that he exists and they shudder. It's not just about believing, okay, he, like, the scriptures talk about him. I think he was a real guy, and I also think that he was deity, but, you know, that's as far as I go, or anything like that. It's actually about believing in a way to where I'm putting faith in him that, like I said, he knows what he's doing, that he is who he says he is. Eric, right here, sitting in this chair very comfortably, is putting faith in his chair. Do you know how I know? because he's sitting on it he's leaning back on it the expression of faith is moving in a way that is congruent with what it is when I when I say I could say I have faith in this chair and then Jake goes sit on it I go no I have faith in it sit on it no I have faith in it I'll sit on this chair how many of you guys would actually believe that I have faith in that chair But so many of us say we have faith in God. Well, then do this. Well, no, I mean, I I have faith in him. Well, then do this. And we aren't actually acting as if we actually truly believe what we say we believe. And we just dance around the topic and we make groups that just talk around the topic. We call them church small groups. I'm not, I'm not attacking church small groups, okay? Realize, hear me here. I'm, I'm making very stark uh, comments to, to get us to actually think uh, a couple layers deeper. You guys okay with that? Faith is total commitment to Christ. Paul's, yeah. Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that live in me. It's going, if I have faith in God, it's no longer me resting on my own laurels. It's no longer me resting on my own understanding. It's no longer me resting on my own way because I am no longer my own Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So what he says goes. Which brings us to point three. God cannot obey for us. We cannot have true faith and belief without true obedience. The Bible doesn't give any picture of salvation that is apart from obedience. And again, this is where, oh, it sounds like we could go off into works, into works, into works. You're trying to work for salvation. No, not at all. Ephesians 2 tells us that it is not by anybody's works because we cannot boast. It's all on the works of God. But at the same time, we are saved for good works. And there is a works aspect to faith. James says, faith apart from works is dead. says, what good is it, my brothers? James 2, 14 through 17. My brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and you do not have works, can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of them says, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply for their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself has no works and is dead. He's saying like somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I have a need. And you go, I'm praying for you. God bless you. And then you walk away. Do you actually believe in the goodness of God? Can you actually say that you have faith in who Christ is? Because if you did, you would actually feel the heartbeat he has for that individual and you come alongside their need. Faith without works is dead. Again, in all these different areas, in repentance, in belief, in in, uh, obedience, we have God working with us, but he will not do it for us. And if we aren't doing it, then we can't actually call the life that we're living a life of salvation. And I'll say it this way, I'm not challenging whether you're saved or not, but I am inviting you into what? We see in Scripture as the means of walking with Christ and growing in Him. And Paul says, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's what discipleship is. There's no such thing as Christianity apart from discipleship because every single individual that would step into a life of salvation is then stepping into at the exact same time, a life of discipleship, of walking with Christ, learning from Christ, and seeing how it is that He operates. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. This will be the last scripture I give. Now, by this, we may be sure that we know Him. Actually, let me go back and let me start back at Matthew 7, 21. Uh, I'll, I'll start partway into it. It says, On that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, not, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many deeds in your, uh, of power in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never what? I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. And I think a, a great, great answer to this is what John's given us in 1 John 2. He says, now by this, we may be sure that we what? Know him. If we What? Obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly, in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk. How? Just as he walked brings us right back to focusing on him and seeing the life that he is walking as a model for our life. That's what salvation is calling us into. It's partakers and sharing in the life of Christ that it's no longer I that live but Christ that live in me. And I, I promise you, promise you, promise you that this is brilliantly good news. I know that this, this message is very serious and I know that kind of comes down like a ton of bricks. But at the same time, this is, this is what Christ is calling count the cost to discipleship. When we actually consider the life that we were walking in and the death that we're tasting. And the issue is, is, is we constantly go back to thing after thing after thing. I remember back when I was drinking heavily and all these different things, and, and I was going out to the club, just getting just wasted. And I just knew That it was producing death in me because I would wake up the next morning vomiting into the toilet. And yet at the same time, what did I do later on that week? I went right back to it. All that happening while I was following Christ. (laughs) Not yesterday or anything like that. (laughs) That was many moons ago, but... We can, we can say, follow Christ, and we almost think it's like an Instagram account that we follow, but then we continue on scrolling down our feed, and that's not what it is at all. When Jesus came up to his disciples and he said, follow me, what did they do? They left everything. They left their father, their work, and they literally spent their life chasing after him from there on out. That's what salvation is. It's not a Jesus and the rest of your life. It's not a Jesus and still all this stuff. It's literally dying to all this stuff, looking at it for what it actually is, seeing it for the death that it's paying out, and then seeing the glorious life in light, in love, in joy, in peace, in goodness, in kindness, in mercy, in all these things that we find in the life of Christ, and then taking it as our own. Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay, not simply to free us from our sinful nature, but to restore us back to our divinely created nature, a Christ-like nature, to walk just as he walked. Repentance, faith, and obedience, these are the duties of the great exchange. Faith will follow repentance, obedience will follow faith, and this is the life that we call salvation. This is our part in the good news we know as the gospel. If you guys just close your eyes. I'm not one to try and evoke emotional responses because I I fear that Matthew seven scripture more than anything as a teacher. The last thing I wanna do is give somebody an emotional high that they think they're moving on the right direction only to find out later on that I deceived them. So this is not what this is. But I want you to just sit here and, and really turn your heart to the Lord right now. If you've been going to church for 20 years, I still just challenge you right now to turn your heart to the Lord. And just say, Jesus, have I truly repented In my walk with you, have I changed the way I thought, or did I just try to add you on to my feed and keep scrolling? And if he's saying, you know what, you, you haven't really repented, don't take shame on. It's an invitation to go, Jesus, I choose to no longer focus on my way of living. Right now, where you're at, if that's you and he's, he's poking at that thing, you say, I choose to chase after your thought process, God. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear. And Father, help me to change my my mind. Scripture calls it being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then ask God, do I, do I truly believe that you are who you say you are? Have I truly put my faith in the fact that you are Lord and not just my Savior? And then just respond to them. And then lastly, just simply ask, Father, have I been obedient to your will? Are there any areas in my life that you want to just bring up right now that I've been disobedient or just ignorant in? And then respond to him, whatever he shows you. There's that area of obedience, then respond to him. Ask him, how can I I be obedient in that area? If you don't know, this is the thing. We're not doing this on our own. We're not working our way into anything. We are inviting him in as he's inviting us in. And it's Emmanuel, God with us. And then we are then us with God. And we're walking that life out together, not doing it on our own. That goes back to the old way. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you. Father, I thank you for the beauty of your salvation. Jesus, we just thank you for what you've done on the cross to purify us, to cleanse us, to, to bring us to a state to where we could even enter into the throne room to be able to talk to you, Father. We thank you for the seal of the Holy Spirit. If you've never received the Holy Spirit before, you can just ask right now, Holy Spirit come. me God I pray over every soul in here tonight God that they would walk away with a deeper understanding of your heart for them father I pray that that any shame that may have came in throughout this night that it's just destroyed Father, that your grace would come in and just wash them and cleanse them and free them from any shame or condemnation that was nothing of any of the intent of this message, Father. Restore us back to who you created us to be and let us live a life of adventure side by side in the cool of the day with you, Father. We love you. We love you. We praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name.